we got uh, through halfway through First Corinthians 13. So we got through, the, to me, the really good part. <laughs> not that the other part is not good, but uh, I always love reading verses 4 to 8. Mm-hmm. And we got through that. Uh, so we're going to start with verse 8 because we only did Love Never Ends. And we didn't really fully deal with that. Um, uh, Katrina, would you read the rest of the chapter, starting with verse 8? Okay. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. We think of 1 Corinthians 13 as a love chapter. But the last part, which would seem to me to be his goal, uh, is moves a little bit beyond love to an ingredient that we don't usually associate with love, and that's maturity. So maybe the opening question should be, what does love have to do with maturity? Why would Paul put maturity as the goal point of his discourse on love? I think he's addressing the problems in the Corinthian church. And they are exalting speaking in tongues and, uh, you know, these other gifts uh, as the most important and they're behaving in a disorderly way, which is without love, and it's, it's immature. And so Paul wants to encourage them to spiritual maturity, and he wants them to see rather than sp- speaking in tongues as the capstone of spiritual experience. Which is what they're doing. It's, yeah. it's love mm-hmm. is the capstone. That's, that's what they need to be striving for, if anything, um, and so that's why he starts to talk, talk about love and then prophecies, tongues, knowledge, right? He's got a little ordering here, uh, and then he answers their question. And so rather than just saying in the negative, stop talking about tongues, he wants to fix their eyes on something else, and that something else is is love. Okay, so... Is it possible that love is the only way to become mature? I think you've got a bit of a chicken and an egg sort of thing here, and I'm not sure which way this runs, because uh, I think also in order to truly be able to love someone well, you have to be mature. <laughs> yes, um, that's true. And that when you're immature, your idea of what love is tends to be more self-centered as opposed to other-centered. Uh, and so uh, which comes first? Is it when you suddenly recognize and through love that that is what pulls the maturity along or whether it's the maturity comes that then allows the mat- the actual true love to, to do that? I don't know. 
and, and maybe it's a combination of both. Like you right. said, the chicken and the egg. Yeah, I mean, they both happen, and they're both important to each other in both mm-hmm. directions. My my version with the NRSV reads the first part of chapter uh, verse eight as love never ends, rather than love never fails. Uh, we get love never fails. I think comes all the way down from Tyndale as a translation. Right. But this has love never ends, and and, that, and that's this. They're really the same, but it's a little different way of looking at it. It's true, and that may also uh, that is actually consistent with how I've understood the the last verse in thirteen when it talks about that of the three, the greatest of whether you know faith, hope, love, that the greatest of these is love, and I think that the reason that makes sense to me as to why that would be the the most important or the greatest of the three is that at some point faith and hope will cease to exist because once we're reunited with God there will be no real need for the the faith and the hope because what we've been hoping for has come and it is now a reality so we don't have to put faith into something in the future that this is now all realized and so at that point the love however will persist uh, throughout eternity, yeah. I, I think if you think of, of faith as as belief in something we can't see or something that right. has not yet been realized, now, of course, if you're thinking of it as just trust, trust yeah, well, that will continue. That will continue. Um, but trust is very very closely intertwined with love. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't have trust without love. So uh, I think your point we is well made. Can't have love without trust either. <laughs> That's true, <laughs> as I found out <laughs> when I was young. So. Let's work through this uh, section here. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. We tend to think, we're, we Adventists are very much believers in the gift of prophecy. We've seen it at work in our midst. And it's hard to believe that prophecy would come to an end. That would sound like the Bible, which is a very prophetic book, would come to an end. So what do we do with that? How, how do we resolve this? Is this just the temporary spiritual gifts that he's talking about within the church where there were prophets? I mean, Philip had seven daughters. Wasn't it seven daughters that were prophesied? Is it just that that he's talking about? Is he talking about the prophetic word? What... How do we resolve that? I guess also part of it is uh, what. How do you understand prophecy? I mean, what what are you referring to? I mean, the common thing is to think of prophecy as being just foretelling the future, whereas most of the prophets actually that wasn't their major thing. Their major thing was actually speaking for God, um, and so. I have a little easier time understanding how prophecy as in foretelling the future would come to an end, because at some point all the prophecy in the Bible will have been fulfilled. Right. Uh, and so then there is... It, and so it's done, it's over. Uh, it doesn't mean that it didn't exist or it wasn't important, but it's been fulfilled and that's, that's it. Um, yeah. It, it does sound like he's meaning that, that particular mm-hmm. nuance of the word. When I see this passage, it occurred to me that every time we see the word love, 
we could put the word God in there mm-hmm. and it would just read so beautifully and it would all make sense, mm-hmm. right, in another way mm-hmm. because God never ends, God never fails. You have all these other things but... And God is patient yes. and kind and yes, not yes. envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Uh-huh, because we're just prophesying in part uh, but when that which is perfect has come... Uh, then these other things will be done away. We don't need these uh, partial things, these uh, maybe like poorer substitutes, right, mm-hmm. that, that we have. Um, this actually used to be one of my favorite verses in the, just in this little next section because I used to be so frustrated because I had such a hunger for knowledge. Like I used to go walk into a library and think how will I ever read all these books you know or when I went to university it's like I had to read everything I had to like cram my mind with as much knowledge as I could and so these verses were like a promise to me we just know in part we're just seeing things dimly we don't know everything yet but one day you are going to know, right? When you meet God face to face, He knows you perfectly and He is going to right, reveal that knowledge to you too. And so this was like a wonderful promise for me, probably my late teens, early 20s. Yeah, isn't it later in here? Let's see. Now I know only in part, but then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. Yes. He's talking about someday when we see God face to face. Mm-hmm. We will know fully. Yes. So the prophesying in part is everything we have is partial now. I mean, all the elaborate charts that, you know, we come up with and <laughs> for the future and all of that, it's just temporary. So we shouldn't, I don't think yeah. we should wrap ourselves up. And that's, that's why... Um, I think the King James Version translates this um, as for prophecies. They will uh, see. For we prophesy, we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. He, uh, the King James Version has for the idea of it being imperfect. Uh, that's because the word for maturity and the word for perfection are the same word in Greek, and imperfection seems to mean maturity or completeness, fullness. Uh, so, we it's really imp- it's really partial knowledge that we have, not imperfect knowledge. Though, I suppose you could say if it's imp- if it's impartial, if it's partial, it's imperfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not faulty knowledge that we have. It's just it's we don't have the full thing. So he's still really uh, talking about the spiritual gifts, isn't he? Mm-hmm. The the gift of knowledge, the gift of prophecy, and he leaves out tongues. Apparently, tongues was overriding everything. It was like, if you don't have the gift of tongues, you aren't in Christ. And, and there, were, there was competition in the, in the room on Sabbath morning about who could speak and who couldn't. And everybody was kind of speaking in tongues at once. And it was very, confused, very full of confusion. So he, he leaves that out because it's not as important as some of the other gifts. And even those important gifts... We only have in part. We only have partially. So, uh, verse eleven. When I was a child, 
I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. Well, I think that I see this as just um, an acknowledgement of the natural progression of of life in all aspects, whether it be physical, mental, spiritual, uh, that, you know, for, you know, a, a baby when he's first learning to try and walk and keeps falling and whatever, you, know, you don't say, oh, you know, what a stupid little baby. Why can't it just get up and walk, you know? Yeah. It, it's normal. That's that's the process. And now, if he's still doing that when he's 24, then you start thinking, okay, well, there might be something wrong here, you know? And uh, But that, and same thing as far as you know, learning to talk, learning to be able to understand abstract concepts and so on, that this is all things that you pick up as you mature and as your brain starts being able to handle these things and same thing spiritually that um that there is a place where we start and we have to Mm -hmm. take just very basic understanding and once we're able to integrate that then we can kind of start moving out from the core to the more peripheral um uh, things and start gaining a, a, a better understanding of things and that while that core may be the, the linchpin of everything, of the gospel of, of what's the most important thing, that there's also an intimation here that just holding on to that and not moving beyond that into some of these other areas is a problem. Um, and that you need to be able to move beyond that to make your understanding of all this more complete. Um, and that if you don't, that it's like, you know, a, again, an adult who decide, continues to live as an infant who just wants to be fed, have someone change their nappy, and you know, that it's, you know, not, you know, not acceptable uh, for a normal adult. that happens adult. to old people. Well, but, but again, that comes to uh, a situation of whether you are able to, to move beyond that or not. And yeah, you know, there are some people who, you know, for they got neurologic issues, or uh, you know, their brains never formed, pro- you know, properly, and they never are able to move beyond that infantile thing, and that's not their fault. I mean, that's just the card they were dealt. Uh, but for someone who has the ability, but just chooses not to, because it's just so much more comfortable to have all my needs met, and I don't have to do anything. Reminds me of a, a, a church I used to attend, and the lady would bring her son. He must have been eight years old, but she would push him around in a pram still. <laughs> he was way too big to be in a, in a pram. And I always wondered, how is that impacting that child? <laughs> not not positively, I would imagine. <laughs> he, he didn't um, have any disability or no, anything? Oh, no, no, no. I think she wanted him to stay... Right. As, a child. As a she couldn't stand to see him grow up. Yes, yes. Yeah, well, that can be... That can yeah, be very detrimental. Issue. But, yeah, there are, you know, parents who need to feel needed uh, and that um, having their children become independent is actually a threat. Uh, and also, they yeah. love little babies, and they right. want their babies to stay babies and not grow up. Right. We saw a kid last week on the train. It was an older child and had a dummy in its mouth. Mm-hmm. 
I said that's too old for a dummy. I don't know if they heard me or not, but <laughs> funny. Yeah. Well, if they did, maybe they wouldn't. Uh, maybe wouldn't have been able to translate "dummy" into <laughs> into pacifier. They may not have uh, known what you were talking about. Yeah, they probably didn't know. <laughs> you got away with that one. <laughs> It's interesting that he uses this analogy about being a child and then being an adult, because I mm-hmm. think he's trying to tell them you're being childish here. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> the Corinthians Grow are being up. childish, mm-hmm. but then he includes it all. We only see in part now, but still, I think he's giving them a big hint. Mm-hmm. And okay, go ahead. So uh, you know, it, it does strike me here that he's saying, you know, you need to love. And if you love, you'll start growing up. So it seems like he's putting love first and then growing up. But I think you're right that it also works the other way. Mm-hmm. So he's you could say he's doing both in a way. Um, and I think this, this call to love um, fits in well with, uh, with verse 12 when it says here, you know, we, for now we see in a mirror dimly. Um, but you know, at some point we're going to be able to figure out. But right now... We only get part of the information, parts and pieces, um, and that um, that part of that. Then the recognize, recognizing that fact then is sort of a key towards this the humility of understanding that while I know what I believe and I know why I believe what I believe, recognize I also recognize that there are things that I believe that I'm wrong on. I just don't know which ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the fact that I may disagree with you on something, that recognizing that that could be an area where I'm the one who's wrong and that, that, that I shouldn't just automatically assume that you're the one who's wrong. And, on, uh, on and, the that, other- and then if coming from a point of love, of being able to accept the fact that there are going to be differences and some of that will be because we have come to different conclusions and part of that can also be from people who are still haven't moved as far away from the childlike position and of being able to allow God to bring them along in the proper and best way for them Um, and that it's not my position to then go through every time I see somebody who deviates from what I believe, it's not my position then to suddenly confront them and say, you know what, you need to straighten up and X, Y, Z, you know, whatever, that um, that actually ultimately it's the Holy Spirit that convicts of, of sin and of and helps us to, to grow. Uh, and it's my position coming from a point of love then to help do whatever I can to keep that line of communication open between you and God to allow him then to bring you along and then also to bring me along and that so that I'm not in this confrontational thing of always trying to uh, correct everyone and make sure that their theology fits what my understanding is. Um, it allows everyone to speak. Yeah. I uh, one time had somebody call me up after a Sabbath school class and, and labor with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was many years ago. 
And I finally said, at the end of our, towards the end of our conversation, I said, you know, the Bible doesn't say that God is going to judge us regarding our theology. He's going to judge us how we treat one another. And when, when she heard that, she just kind of went, oh, yeah. <laughs> and that was the end of Sorry. all the heat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But again, yeah, that you can come back to when Jesus uh, says, you know, how are we going to know who my followers are? It's not that they're the ones who have all their theological ducks in a row. That's right. It's going to be the ones who love the way exactly. God loves. And if and my theology the if my theology doesn't lead me to love one another, either I don't really have my theology or it's wrong. Right. And I think too too often Sabbath schools and Adventism are about people arguing. Like they just go there to argue and then argue their points and counterpoints and they either go there to argue or they go there to hear what they've always heard. And when they hear something different, they get oh, yeah. upset and start arguing. Yes. But that's what's being modeled to them, you yeah. know, where the truth and we stomp down everyone mm-hmm. else. And so yeah, anything right. challenges. Well, that was, that was the great model yeah. of Adventism in the 1950s, 1940s. You went, you went and had a discussion with your neighbor over the Sabbath and you're over the back fence and, and the neighbor, you would browbeat the, bow, the neighbor into submission on the Sabbath. And I, I encountered that when I was a student here at PUC. I used to go with what was called Berkeley Campus Ministries and we would go down to Berkeley and feed the homeless. Oh, really? And uh, <clears throat> one Sabbath, uh, my friend and I were walking along, I think, up Shattuck Street. And we encountered two people. And there were a lot of two-people groups. There were Jesus people who went around in twos. There were Adventists who went around in twos. And there were Moonies that went around in twos. And there were Jehovah's Witnesses that went around in twos. And you all met up at the same <laughs> <Mormons>. No. <laughs> I, don't, I never saw Mormons, but I don't, I don't think I saw they Jehovah's Witnesses too, either. Though. But, yeah, they do. <laughs> well, Jesus said to do that, so right. what can we say? But anyway, um, we met with two men, and uh, they wanted to know what we were. What denomination? We said, they said, uh, are, we're Christians. And, and we said, oh, we're Christians too. And they said, what denomination are you from? And so we said, we're Seventh day Adventists. And immediately opened Pandora's box. Their neighbor uh, was an Adventist, mm-hmm. and she had been trying to convert them to the Sabbath over the backyard fence. And they, we ended up in this visceral <laughs> argument <laughs> where there was no beginning or end. And um, I remember finally, I, you know, I realized, well, I was just thinking, you know, it's impossible to change their thinking. And they, just then he looked at me and says, you know, it's just impossible to change your thinking. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. <laughs> like We're thinking women. That. We don't change very easily. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I finally put my Bible behind my back and I said, may I tell you why I keep the Sabbath? And I just began to experientially unpack why I kept the Sabbath. And when I got through, they were just like, didn't know what to say. They had no more arguments. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so we wished them well, told them to keep studying, and went on our way. But I. Yeah, um, I I don't think anybody wins other than Satan when we get into these arguments. Yeah. Argument things, 
um, and that the you know that even when we completely disagree with what someone believes, that I think there's room for discussion. I think there's room for mm-hmm. uh, you know certainly all these things, but that the way that we treat them yes. is as or even more important than than ultimately. Um, and that, you know, I, I see society as a whole and Adventism in, in particular just kind of continuing to move down this side of becoming more and more polarized and anybody who doesn't believe exactly the same way I do is the enemy and they, and they, and they, and it's not just that we disagree, it's they're evil. Um, and that somehow we need to break out of this. Of, and, and, maybe, and love is the way that we do that. Yeah, exactly. And, and maybe that's where we can really end our, our wonderful dialogue here since our time is up. And now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, the greatest of these is love. Uh, love attempts, uh, trumps what we believe. Love trumps uh, our hope, uh, because a lot of what we believe is what we hope is true. It's when it translates into the life that we really believe it. Um, and, and that means it translates into love for other people mm. who don't believe the way we do. God shows me things in Scripture, but he teaches me their truth by experience. That's what I've found. Mm-hmm. And that you know, experience is is love in a sense. It's all rooted in love. Really, experiential understanding is is love based. Well, thank you, Jean. Thank you. I think we all taught the lesson today. <laughs> you maybe more than you and you and you maybe more than me. <laughs> all right, let's have closing prayer. Dear God, you are not only the author of love, but you are love itself. And when we know you, really know you, experientially know you, we know your love. We ask that you will grow us up, that you will mature us, and that we will become to so know your love and have that love in our hearts, that the love that you give us will trump every other thing. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.